Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Well, happy Father's Day. You know, I always contemplate as I get ready to step up here. There's always things on my heart that I want to celebrate. There's always things that I want to talk about. And, and as I was sitting there just wrestling with things to talk about and thinking about the time frame that we have, um, I, I'm just sitting back and looking at all what God is doing. And I think back just in this past week, um, our student ministry, I don't know if you know a lot about what's going on in the heart of our student ministry, but what they've devoted themselves to is Wednesday nights this summer, they're not gathering together on campus like a normal Wednesday night youth group would, per se. Um, and so this past Wednesday night, I journeyed over to a housing project in Gainesville. And to pull up on the scene and to see between 60 to 80 from our student ministry, they're loving on little kids and loving on people that are, that are down on their luck. There was nothing sweeter than to watch our kids loving, watching them in the grass, wrestling with all these little munchkins everywhere. And, and then I think about just something that we get to celebrate even today, just having, and I know he'll hate me for this, but having Jared back with us today. <laughs> Praise God. But, the, but my heart behind that is because you know that for the last, who knows how long, Jared's been at River Bend pouring in to a, to a hurting church. And then I think about Friday, just this two days ago, we had a team over at Flyery Branch High School and we cooked about 600 hot dogs for a passing league in a football tip for uh, FCA as they did a passing league for, I think it was around 300 athletes, 300 freshmen that got together. But where Ben Hildebrandt was able to share the gospel with 300 young men. And I guess what I'm going at and what I'm wanting you to understand is that the three things that I just celebrated have nothing to do with the inside the walls of this church. That it's all about God sending us out to saturate the world by making disciples. And all of those things that I just shared are because of you being generous, generous and open-handed with what you have. So thank you so much for being faithful and allowing us to walk through doors that God continues to open for us. Today, we're gonna go ahead and jump into Nehemiah chapter five. Usually on Father's Day, Mother's Day, sometimes we kind of pull out and address maybe the fathers or the mothers. But what I love about the book of Nehemiah, this is all about, this is one of the greatest books on leadership that probably ever existed. And so when it comes to addressing fathers, there's no need to get out of Nehemiah chapter five because God has called every man, every father, every grandfather to lead. So we've already got the, the, the bar has been raised. The model has been set by what we're gonna look at today. But have you ever left church on a Sunday morning and maybe you, your family, whomever, you get in the car and that conversation on the way home, you're both like, I wonder who that message was for today. 
He was obviously preaching at somebody. Have y'all done it? Don't lie, just be honest. Look, I've done it. I've walked, got in the car with my wife when I was in student ministry and I would leave on Sundays going, whoo, I really feel sorry for whoever that was getting preached to. So with that being said, I want to cast out a disclaimer for today, okay? The disclaimer for today is that this is not my passive way to address an underlying issue that's taking place in our church. This is not my passive way to talk about some things that are under the surface that may be going down that we're having to deal with. This is the beauty of preaching through a book of the Bible is there's no places that we get to skip. Like we have to address it all. And so as we're gonna look in Nehemiah chapter five, my disclaimer is that no, we're not addressing someone sitting in the congregation of something that's going on, okay? However, when I look at that, I do want you to know that this is my disclaimer, but this disclaimer comes with an however. And what I mean by that however is that my prayer for today is that the Spirit of God moves in your heart, that the Spirit of God moves in my heart, and although we have given the disclaimer, the however is, if the Spirit of God convicts you, number one, you celebrate the conviction of God in your life. And if the Spirit of God convicts you, respond to it. So yes, we have a disclaimer, but there is the however. If the Spirit of God moves in your heart and your life today, Respond to it as the Holy Spirit would lead you. And so as you've seen thus far, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah and where we left off last week, some of the things that are taking place, we know that the wall of Jerusalem is being rebuilt. We know that the people of God have all came together and it appears that everything is hitting on all cylinders, if you would. Everything's getting knocked out. The work is getting accomplished. And as Pastor Brandon shared last week, the enemy has began to attack from the outside. He's used people in the community to come against the children of God. And he's, what he's attempting to do through that force is to, to hinder the work of God and to hinder God's people. And so we see that what we heard last week was that God's people, God's children, God's servants, however you wanna classify them, they've, they've been mocked, they've been laughed at, and we even heard last week they've gotten to the place where they're being physically attacked, even to the point where I love that. And there's a whole nother, you could do a whole sermon series on this one thought, how the fact that they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, they were working with this hand and fighting off the enemy with this one. And so we see that all this, this struggle, all of this battle is going on. But what I love, and even though the, the attack from the enemy has been tough, the work of God continued. The work of God continued to move forward. And as Pastor Brandon put the ball on the tee for us to hit this week, what you heard is if the enemy can't stop the work of God from the outside, the next thing the enemy wants to do is to try to get on the inside. And so that's what we're gonna see today. I found this quote um, from, from someone obviously a lot smarter than I am. And he says this, and I, and I love this, and it's funny, but there's a lot of truth in it. And it says he, in reference to the devil, in reference to the enemy, he couldn't destroy the church from the outside. So what he did next was join it. Now that's not a passive comment either to the new members. 
I know you're probably going, oh God, I hope he wasn't talking about us. Are we the enemy? We just joined the church. No, that's not what, remember, we've got a disclaimer already, okay? This is not addressed at anyone, okay? So let's keep moving. But even though we hear this, well, I hope it's not any new members anyway. Let me go ahead and back up and say that one. But while the work of the enemy is not stopping the work of God, the work of the enemy from the outside is not stopping the work of God, but what we're gonna see today is the enemy's attempt to use who's in the house, if you would, to hinder the work of God. So Nehemiah chapter five, and we're gonna read verses one through five. We're gonna start out reading verses one through five. It says, now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we are sons and daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said that we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses that we might get grain because of this famine. And also there was those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes and our fields and our vineyards. Verse five, now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because of our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So when we read that in your mind, you may be processing, well, what in, what in the world's going on here? What in the world is Nehemiah talking about in these first five verses? What he's done is he's taken these first five verses to help and inform us that God's people are struggling. These are families of God that are walking in obedience, doing what God has commanded them to do, but yet they are struggling, and they're struggling in a lot of different areas. They're experiencing shortage of food. They got into a place they can't pay their bills. And if we were using today's terminology, inflation is skyrocketing. Taxes are increasing. They're going into deeper debt. And I know you're going, my goodness, is this the United States of America? No. But listen to the last thing it says that they're doing. It says they're selling off their kids into slavery just so they can make ends meet. Now, I know some of you are like me and you're going, man, I did not know that was an option. <laughs> right? In honor of Father's Day. I didn't know we could sell them little suckers off to get, take care of some debt. Um, no, we're not taking those applications or filling those forms out in the lobby today. Okay, this is Old Testament. Remember, there was some rough stuff going on in the Old Testament. But short of the long, we see that God's children are struggling. They're having a difficult time in a lot of different areas. And there's a lot of speculation that I've read about this week that, that try to explain why they're struggling. Some of the cases would say this, that the men, they're away from the home. They're, they're working on the wall. They're walking in obedience to God with whatever God had laid on their hearts to do to rebuild the wall. So they're not at home taking care of what they need to be taking care of. Or maybe the one reason that they're in a famine is there literally is a drought in the, in the country and that's why the, the crops are not producing the way that they should be producing. Or maybe there's just not enough manpower 
just to accomplish all that they normally have to accomplish on a day-to-day basis because everybody's attention is now on the, the rebuilding of the wall. So while we don't know exactly what is the cause of all of these struggles and all that's going on, the one thing that I want you to take away from this is really nothing to do with the message, but I want you to kind of put this in your pocket. And what I want you to think about is that even though these families are walking in obedience to God, they are still having difficult times. Because there's a gospel that's being taught that if you'll give your life to Jesus, if you'll follow Jesus, that everything will get smooth. But we see even in the Old Testament, these are God's chosen people. And even though they are loved by God, even though they are chosen by God, they're still struggling. They're still having difficult times. And so maybe you're in this place today and you're struggling. You're saying, well, Brian, I am walking in obedience to God. I am walking in faith. I'm doing exactly what the Spirit of God's leading me to do. And I'm still struggling. Well, join the crowd. Because following Jesus doesn't always mean smooth sailing. It doesn't always mean that our problems are going to just disappear and go away. But here we have these families, they're, they're struggling, they're, they're frustrated, they're discouraged. They're doing all they can do to survive. But then in verse one, we see a res, the result of these struggles. The Bible says that there was a great outcry. Now what we have to make sure that we take note of is who that outcry was against. Does it say that the children of God, their outcry was, I can't believe the devil is putting this on us. Man, the enemies that really at work in our community. Is the outcry against the enemy? Is it against the devil himself? Absolutely not. The Bible says that the outcry was against the Jewish brothers. It was against their own family. It was against the other children of God. And so we see right quick, the enemy's getting his foot in the crack. And right now, what he's attempting to do is by using God's people against God's people, he's trying to bring division into the work of God. And the whole reason that this division is beginning to take place is is exactly what we just heard about. There's, there's one group over here that they're really struggling. They can't make ends meet. They need help, and they simply weren't getting it. And what would be led to believe is because of their outcry, because of their frustration, because of their discouragement, they recognize that they're all on the same team, that they're all part of the same family, but what they're realizing is that our own brothers and sisters aren't helping us. I thought we were all in this thing together. I thought we were all part of the same family and they're discouraged because it's not going the way that they think it should in their heart because they're one family, they're together. And so what's taking place is they, they needed money, they needed food. And yes, what you're gonna realize is that the other half, if you would, they were giving them money, they were giving them food. But what we realize is them being open-handed with what they had, it came at a cost. It came at a price. Because you see, what was happening is they just weren't loaning them money. They just weren't helping them. They just weren't giving them the food that they needed. They were actually charging them interest for everything that they were giving them. 
They were actually charging them interest so they could make money, so they could benefit from other people's struggling times. And I know some of you, you may be business-minded. You may be in the world of business. You're like, well, of course they're charging interest. That's how they make their money. They have to, they, 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 they have something that the other people need. And so instead of just loaning it, this is an opportunity for them to make money. So that's how a general business world works. That's what they're doing. That's the purpose. That's the business model. But there's one problem with that. There's one problem with that because at the time of the context that of all this is taking place, to charge someone interest was against the law of God. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, I believe it is, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19, it says, you shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money or food or anything that may be loaned for interest. And so what we see is that this division is beginning to surface between the children of God because you've got one group that love the Lord, that God loves them, and then you've got another group that loves the Lord and God loves them, but this group is flourishing and this group is struggling. Instead of the, the flourishing group coming alongside the struggling group, the flourishing group is trying to take advantage of the situation so that they can benefit from the other shortcomings. And they're trying to take advantage of the situation. And so we see that here begins the division inside of God's people. And when we look at this, and yes, when you read all of chapter five, it would appear that everything's about money. That this is what the problem is, that it's all about money. But what, what I have been led to believe and what I've learned through studying this week is this is much bigger than a money issue. At the end of the day, it's a heart issue. At the end of the day, it's something wrong in the heart in one group of the believers. And there's a couple of things that we can learn and a couple of things that I think we can, we can take from this that we can make sure that we protect this fellowship. And so a couple of those things are as we see that, that the guilty party, the one that's taking advantage, first and foremost, they're walking in disobedience to God. It's that simple. So the first thing that we see that you got one group that's walking in disobedience to God and the thing that we can take away from that is this is what I want you to write down. Disobedience to God will always bring division. Disobedience to God will always bring division. And so the second thing we look at is we see that through the lenses of looking at this flourishing group, if you would, they're coming from a heart of selfishness. They're exploiting a situation and they're simply looking at it of what's in it for me. And so the second thing that we can take away is this. Not only does disobedience to God always bring division, but selfishness will always bring division. Selfishness will always bring division. You think about your marriage. Now this is a whole, total another message for another day. But how far does selfishness get you in your marriage? It don't work, does it? Selfishness always brings division. But have you never, ever noticed too 
This selfishness inside the local church always brings division. Selfishness inside the local church always brings division. And here's what I mean. If you, me, if we show up week in and week out, whether it be Sunday, whether it be Wednesday, and from the moment we drive onto this campus, the moment we get out of our car, the moment we journey down the hallways, if our heart is looking around at this place and we're saying, okay, how can Chestnut Mountain Church serve me today? How can I walk into this church and say, yep, what do they got to offer for me today? What's in this for me today? Can I go ahead and tell you right now, if that is your heartbeat when you get here, if you're looking to see how we can serve you or how this church can serve you, I will go ahead and tell you right now, you're gonna get frustrated with the church. You're gonna get frustrated with me. You're gonna get frustrated with the staff. You're gonna get frustrated with people in the hallways because what you're gonna realize is that everybody too is carrying their own burdens. And so as we continue to walk into this place through the lenses of what can the church do for me, can I go ahead and tell you you're setting yourself up for disappointment. We preached a message not too long ago and it, and it stemmed from, from something that the Lord had laid on my heart and it was talking about from the, from the angle of washing feet, the example that Jesus gave us. And I asked this question, how much different would the church look if Christians looked for feet to wash instead of looking for someone to wash yours? I think the church looks completely different. And I'm not just talking about the local congregation of Chestnut Mountain Church. I'm talking about the Big C Church. I think if that was our heartbeat as followers of Christ, if we constantly looked for people to serve instead of looking for people to serve us, things look a lot different. I believe we're modeling who Jesus was. I believe we're modeling the example that he gave us. And so what's taking place to this point is you've got one group who's struggling and you've got another group who's not struggling. And what's happened is the group who's not struggling is viewing the other group as lesser than. They're looking down on them. They're taking advantage of their unfortunate circumstances. But you see, the problem is, is the beneficiary in this situation was so focused on what was in it for them they overlooked the hurting. They overlooked the ones who were hurting. And what you have to realize is that if we always look out for us, we're never gonna notice the needs around us. You see, when I pulled up to an apartment complex last Wednesday, what I saw was a bunch of teenagers that showed up not looking at what was in it for them. They showed up to wash, to find people's feet to wash, if you would. That's when the church is being the church. That's when we're following the example that Christ has given us. But if we step on these grounds on Sunday morning and we're always looking out for us, 
you're never gonna notice the needs around you. You're never gonna notice that individual that when you walk into this room, they're sitting by themselves. Because remember, you're here to look at it, what's in it for you. And this is something that I am very, very passionate about is making sure that every person that steps on this campus is noticed. This goes back to my heart of student ministry days. And you're gonna hear how country this old boy is. But I had a team that I had together on Wednesday nights and I called them my bird dogs. That's what they were. And as I examined the room on a Wednesday night prior to service, if I ever saw a teenager sitting by themselves, I had about seven bird dogs that I gave them the look and I would make eye contact with them and then I would go and I would make eye contact with that loner and they knew, oh, Pastor Brian just gave me the look. I'm going to sit with that person. But that's gotta be our heart here. That's gotta be our heart when you're walking up and down the hallways. Quit thinking about what's in it for you. Quit thinking about all the things that the church can do for you. How much different would we look if we showed up to wash feet rather than having our feet washed? It's completely different. Because I believe that's what God has called us to do. When you, when you look at Jesus' example in Matthew chapter nine, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. But it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. The fact that the Bible says that Jesus saw them meant that he was looking for them. It meant that he was looking for somebody that he could serve. It was meaning that he was looking for somebody that he could love. Are we looking for people who are hurting? Are we looking for those who are less fortunate? Now look, we could spend all day just in these first few verses, but we don't have time to do that. But at the bottom line, what we're at so far is you've got God's people hurting God's people. That's the simple summary of these first few verses is God's people are hurting God's people. But what I wanna do next is I wanna look at how Nehemiah, the leader, responded to what he's just discovered Read verses six through eight. And this is in reference to Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself and I contended with the nobles and the rulers and I said to them, you are exacting usury each time his brothers. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. And in verse eight, I said to them, we according to our ability have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then look at what verse seven, the end of verse eight says, then they were silent and they could not find a word to say. And so what we notice about Nehemiah is Nehemiah is angry. He's frustrated. He is aggravated at this whole situation. Number one, I believe he was angry because of the disobedience of God's children. I believe he was upset of their disobedience. They knew what God's law had said, but they were going against God's law. But I also believe that he was very angry that there was division among God's people. 
I think Nehemiah was very upset that God's people who were on the same team, on the same mission, on the same purpose, that there was division there. But Nehemiah, being the leader that he was, he knew that there was division, he knew there was sin, but he also knew that it was his role to address it. That he had to address the sin. That he had to address the division. But verse seven is very, very important for a follower of Christ when we get ready to call out sin. If you notice what he said in the very first part of verse seven, I consulted with myself. He's literally talking about, I examined my heart. And knowing Nehemiah's heart for prayer, I would venture to say that it doesn't say that, but I would almost guarantee you that he spent some time with the Lord before he addressed it. I think he would have examined his heart. Where where is this coming from? As I address sin, as I address this division, am I gonna address it in anger or am I gonna address it in love? And so what we see is very, very important that as we as a family, we as God's people, anytime we get ready to call out sin in someone's life, you better not do it angry. You need to consult with yourself, consult with the Holy Spirit of God, and you call sin out in love. You call sin out in a brother or sister's in Christ's life, and you do it in love. And so we see that that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He calls out the sin in love, but then he also reminded them of their unity. Basically, what verse eight's talking about is is he's talking about, man, we've been through so much together. Look at all the work that we've accomplished together. Look what happens when we're on the same team. And guys, we've got to come back together. We've got to all get back on the same page. There's no room for this division as we are approaching and going after this mission that God is giving us to rebuild the walls. We're so much better when we're unified. We're so much better when we're together. We've got to get back to doing what got us this far. We've got to get back to being on the same team and walking in obedience together. But then we go on to see that look at their response as a result of him addressing it in love. We would be led to believe that as he addressed it in love, they too received it in love. Because if you see at the very last part of that verse, it says they were silent and they couldn't find a word to say. I believe that in that moment, they became convicted to reality. Hey, we don't have a defense. Chelsea, is that your phone again? It's not okay. Praise God. Y'all see her? She went like this. <laughs> Praise the Lord, it wasn't. But because Nehemiah called it out in love, they received it in love. Because the Bible says they didn't have a word to say. They knew that this sin in their life was, was bringing division within God's people. And so the reason that that is so important is because that's what takes us to the second half of what goes on in chapter five because 
the takeaway from what we've learned so far is that it's never good for God's people to be against God's people. It's never good for there to be division in God's family. And while that's not healthy in and of itself, what's even worse, what, what makes it even that much harder is what we're gonna see next. And it's not good because there's a lost world watching. There's a lost world watching the division among God's people. Look at what he says in verse nine. He says, again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach or the disgrace of the nation, our enemies? This is his plea. He says, look, as a child of God, we got to walk in obedience and we got to walk in love because at the end of the day, there is a lost world watching us. And this is where I would want to pause and ask the question to you as a, as a child of God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, is the way that a Christian treats other Christians drawing people to the house of God? Are you giving them more excuses of why they don't want to be a part of the house of God? And what we have to realize is this, that every time we speak negatively about a church's name, every time that a child of God speaks negatively about another follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, or every time we go on social media and we post something negative about the fellowship of God, we post something negative about another Christian, what you have got to understand is all that you're doing is giving an unchurched world or an unsaved world another reason that they don't want to be a part. All we're doing is adding fuel to their fire. They see enough conflict in the world. So why would they want to join more? There's enough division going on around us that we can't be divided in the family of God. We can't be divided among our brothers and sisters in Christ and so what we see is that in verse 10 and 11, he's basically saying, hey, stop hurting each other and make things right. Stop hurting each other as a child of God. Stop hurting each other and make things right. And he's challenging them, make things right with the ones that you've wronged. And I want you to ask yourself the question, as a child of God, have you ever wronged anyone? You don't raise your hand, please don't. Keep it down. Because everybody's hand's going up. Everybody's. Mine included. I've got to put up both hands, a leg. I've got to put it all up. Because we've all wronged our brothers and sisters in Christ by something that we said, something that we've posted, by something that we've responded with. But what we've got to come back to is ground zero. I love what Brandon Sloan always says, that the, that the ground is always level at the foot of the cross. What we have to realize is that every person that declares that they are a child of God, at one point in your life, you are all a mess. And because of the redemption blood of Jesus Christ, 
You are now victorious, not because you're good now, but because you're saved now. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And what we've got to realize is that the one thing that we all have in common is that without a savior, we are hopeless and we are lost. And what we've got to realize is if you've been saved by the grace of God, the one thing that you have in common with every believer is that we were once lost, but now we're found. It's that simple. It is that simple. And that's what makes everything, that's what makes the ground level at the foot of the cross is that we were all in the same boat. And without the supernatural work of an almighty God who loves you, that's where we would remain. And so we all have that in common. And so when you go on to see, he's told him, he says, hey, you gotta make things right with those you've wronged. Look at their response in verse 12. And they said, we will give it back and we'll require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. And so I called the priest and I took an oath from them that they would do according to what they had promised. Short of the long, what they're saying here is, hey, hey, Nehemiah, we're all in. We're all in. We'll do exactly, you've called out our sin. We're convicted. We know you're right. And so Nehemiah, we're gonna do everything we can. We're gonna try to make things right. We're gonna try to promote unity. We're gonna bring everybody back together. But what I love is Nehemiah, being a man himself, knows the potential of men. And so what does the Bible say? He didn't just take that word as, hey, we're all in. He said that he brought them together and had them sign an oath, had them take an oath, had them make a commitment and so I believe that the reason he did this is because he knew he was dealing with fleshly men. He knew that he was dealing with people like Brian Hall. The, I know Brian's sounding good. He's all in right now, but man, if there comes an opportunity that he can make a dollar, then they may go right back to the, what they were doing. And so the reason I want them to take an oath, the reason that I want them to make a commitment is so now as Nehemiah, their leader, can hold them accountable to what they've committed to. This is the whole purpose of being a part of a church family. This is why when you go through membership, you're gonna be asked to sign a covenant. It's nothing to do, it's not cultish, but what it is, is that it invites us all to be in this thing together, that when we're a part of the family of God together, it now gives us the grounds to speak and hold each other accountable, which is what the family of God is for. It means that we're all in agreement, that we're all gonna to commit to saturating the world by making disciples. And as the family of God, we are coming together as one to be on the same page, but also to hold one another accountable when sin creeps in. Because can I tell you, sin will creep in. It's gonna happen. But I need men around me who are gonna call me on my stuff. But being a part of the family of God, that's the whole purpose. And that was the purpose of Nehemiah, having them commit to this oath. And so now he had the grounds to speak accountability in their life, to hold them accountable. And so he makes them commit. But then what we're gonna see next is something pretty harsh. I want you to look at verse 13. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise, even 
Thus may he be shaken out and emptied. So they've made a commitment to follow through with what Nehemiah has challenged them to do. And basically what Nehemiah is telling him, he's saying, look, if you don't stay true to what you've committed to do, God's gonna remove you. God is going to remove you. And when I read verse 13, I see the very first of it when it says that he stood up in front of him and he also shook out the front of his garment. That's one of those things that if you just, you just kind of look at it at a glance, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's kind of like he just you know, got up and fixed his shirt, you know, got everything you know, straight so he looked presentable. But there's such a message that what stood for and what he did by shaking out his robe or shaking out his garment before he addressed those that didn't stay true to the commitment. You know, it being summertime, I, I think about, you know, the kids are going in and out of the house like eight million times a day. Like forget a Sunday afternoon nap. I mean, it's just, and you know, you got those blinds that are on the door so you don't just get one slap of the door, then the blinds follow them and it's like, and every time you doze off, it's But what in my house, as you see it, every, every hot door that's coming in from the outside, you've, you know, you've got your doormat, right? And so at this time of year, especially after the grass has been cut, you know what I'm talking about already. Y'all are laughing. Like it comes like there's just a mound of dirt and grass and junk that just gathers on this mat. And what do you do? You open the door, you grab the mat, and you pop it to where everything that's on it gets out. Do you understand that's the picture that Nehemiah is setting here? He's saying, hey, look, if you don't stay true to what you've committed to do, then I'm gonna treat you and I'm gonna pray that God does exactly with you that you do with the grass on your doormat. I'm gonna pray that it gets popped and that you are removed from the fellowship. That's pretty harsh, but that's how serious Nehemiah, along with the heart of God, desires unity. And what we've got to be careful of is we have got to recognize that God will not put up with disunity and God will not put up with those who sow discord. It's just what it is. Because God desires for his children to be unified in honor of Father's Day. There's nothing that makes this dad's heart happier than when I get to sit on my back porch and see my field of kids in the backyard <laughs> laughing and cutting up and getting along and having the best time, that they're in unity, they're in fellowship, but there's nothing that causes this dad more anxiety and worry when I see those kids bickering, when I see them not liking each other. And I believe that's an example of God's heart, that God loves seeing his children unified. Nothing makes God's heart happier when the children of God are working together, going in the same direction, locked arms, doing what God has assigned us to do. That makes the Father's heart happy. Because the reason that it makes his heart happy is because there is power and strength in unity. There is power and strength in unity. And I believe with everything in me that unity scares the enemy to death. 
Unity scares the enemy to death. And the reason that it scares him to death is because I believe with all that is in me that unity produces praise. Unity produces praise. Look at the last part of verse 13. And all of the assembly said, amen. And then what does it say they did? And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. You see, the reason that we emphasize this is because we're five chapters into the book of Nehemiah. You've seen them working together. You've seen them praying together. This is the first time we see in the book of Nehemiah that they praise together. This is the first time that they praise together. Because there's power in unity. Because unity produces praise. And I'm not for the sake of time gonna finish out the chapter, but if you read verses 14 through 19, I love the heart of Nehemiah. He's basically just saying, I'm gonna lead by example. Here's what I'm gonna do. Here's how I'm going to lead you. But you see, some of you would probably read that and you would think, well, God, he's just boasting on how good a person he is. That's not at all what he's doing. He's again setting a stage for accountability. He's telling them how he's gonna lead them because remember, they've all just made an oath together and he's saying, hey, I now have the ability to hold you accountable and because I'm telling you how I'm gonna lead you, you now have the ability to hold me accountable. Make sure I follow through with what I'm talking about. Make sure that I'm leading you the way that I've told you that I'm gonna lead you. But what I believe we see in the heart of Nehemiah is we see a glimpse of our Savior. Because what we have to understand is we can't put Nehemiah on a pedestal because Nehemiah was a man. Nehemiah was a flawed man. And so what you've got to be careful is you can't put anyone that you look up to on a pedestal because I promise you, if they're a fleshly human being, which they are, they're going to let you down. But what we see is just get a glimpse, I believe, of our Savior when we look at Nehemiah. In Matthew chapter 20, verses five through eight, we see the heart of our Savior. In verses 25 through 28 of chapter 20, it says, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men, they exercise their authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you will be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, that's the example that Jesus has set before us. And maybe you're here today and you don't even have the relationship with Christ that we're talking about. What you gotta realize is that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you're here today apart from him, that's you. 
That's the very reason that he died. That's the very reason that he rose again. It's so that you could have life and have it everlasting. And this heart of servanthood, this heart of being a foot washer is something that only the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit can do in you. Because in our human being's heart, we're all fleshly. We're all twisted. We're all selfish. And apart from God, we don't even know what it means to serve other people. So maybe today you need to place your faith and trust in him. But what I want to do in closing today is, is I want to read the last part of verse 13 again. Because as we look back at the events that have unfolded in chapter five, I want you to realize how far they've came in one chapter. There's a lot that has happened in chapter five. They were doing the work of God. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the division came among God's people. Nehemiah, in love, he called their sin out. He called out the division. They repented. They committed to remain faithful to what they've been called on. And now all of a sudden, we see them unified. You realize everything that took place? This is the biblical model of how you address conflict. But the beauty of it is, is if you will follow the guidelines, if you will follow exactly the instructions that is laid out in Nehemiah, we see the end result. That unity produces praise. It always produces praise. And so the question that I would ask you this morning is although this, you heard the disclaimer in the beginning, are you part of the however? Did the Spirit of God lay something on your heart that is between you and a brother or sister in Christ? And what I want to encourage you to do with all the love that is in me is look, go make things right. And look, you may go, well, Brian, they don't even know I'm upset with them. That makes it that much more interesting. It really does. But that just requires you to be that much bolder. If you're holding bitterness towards a brother or sister in Christ, I would encourage you to make things right. If you're angry at them, go make things right. And look, I'm very well aware there may be a line in just a minute waiting to talk to me. But praise God, I want nothing more than this body to be unified because unity produces praise. You say, well, Brian, they're not in here. They're going to 1045. You got a cell phone. They'll be coming in here in just a minute. Meet them in the hallway. Then you other ones, oh, they don't even go to church here. You got a cell phone. You can be dismissed. What does it look like if you call them? What does it look like if you send them a text right now and just say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've wronged you. Because what I've just heard is that unity produces praise. And the children of God are created to praise together.
But what does it look like this morning if you need to make things right? But what I would love to see is, is when we leave out of here this afternoon, that we leave out of here this way. Praising the Lord together, unified. Because when we're unified, things happen. When we're unified, things happen. So first, do you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Secondly, do you need to make things right with a brother or sister in Christ in this room today? Or do you just need to get lost in the praise? Do you need to get lost in the praise? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.